0: So today we're concluding a teaching series entitled, I Don't, Four Vows to Break for Beautiful Biblical Relationships. We've been applying the implications of the gospel, what Jesus has done to save us and love us, to the most important relationships around us, with a special focus on marriage. And what we've said is that in order to keep the vows that cause a couple to thrive, there are certain vows, ones we make to ourselves as self-centered individuals, that we must be willing to break. Which brings us to the last vow that we want to break so that we can keep the vows that matter most. Here it is. There is this vow in us that says that we should resist change in ourselves while demanding it from our significant other. Let me say it again. There's something in us that wants to resist change in ourselves but demand it and expect it from our spouse. And in order for our relationship to flourish, that selfish vow must be recognized, rejected, and broken. Now, before we can dive too deep, I need to ask you a question. And I don't know, maybe I should have asked you this at the beginning of this series, but here we go. What do you think relationships are for? Like, especially marriage. What is marriage all about? I mean, ultimately, supremely, what is God's goal? What is his aim in connecting one human being to another human being like this? Now most people think that they know the answer to this question. They think marriage exists for happiness. Most people begin their search for a spouse with the belief that marriage is ultimately meant to do one thing. Make me happy. I mean, why else would you do it, right? Ladies, why else would you say yes to an overpriced dress that you'll only wear once? Guys, why spend months discussing guest lists and cake flavors and accent colors? Why would you choose to have in-laws? In-laws who critique everything when they visit? Or, Or why would you endure a lifetime of conversations with your wife about how many times you can wear the same pair of jeans before they have to be washed? Why would you endure any of that unless it was going to result in happiness? And while relationships certainly exist to bring us happiness, what I would suggest to you is that that's just part of the equation. Now, in order for us to understand what what God's goal actually is in marriage, we first have to remind ourselves of God's goal for us as his people overall. Uh, Jump with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Listen to this. This is Paul speaking. He says, For our sake God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When I was growing up, my parents didn't have a ton of cash. So to make extra money, my dad would buy old cars. He'd buy them, fix them up, trick them out a little bit, make them nice, and then sell them for some extra money. And for me, that process of buying something broken, fixing it up, and giving it new life is a great picture of what God's goal is for all of us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Through the cross, Jesus Christ took on sin, or as Paul says, became sin, to buy us out of the punishment we deserve. And once you have faith in his work, you're free. Uh, You're forgiven. You're part of the Father's family, and you are no longer destined for the junkyard, so to speak. But it doesn't end there. His goal wasn't just to buy something broken. God's goal is for us to become something new. God's goal is for us to become the righteousness of God, which is a way of saying that that once we've been saved by Jesus, we begin a process of being rehabbed, overhauled, and and made more like Jesus. It's also called sanctification, where through the power of the Holy Spirit God reshapes, refines, and remakes us. But listen to me, this this transformation doesn't just happen. It takes time. And God uses the stuff of our lives, and especially the relationships we are in, as as the workshop to bring about, to, to draw forth all this change. And for those of us who are married, that relationship, the married relationship, becomes one of God's primary playgrounds for bringing about our sanctification, for changing us into who he wants us to be. Hear me on this. Marriage exists as a means of sanctification. Yes, it's there to bless you and bring joy to you and a thousand other good things to you. But for a follower of Jesus, there is this this greater goal, this higher aim that God has in mind. Through the the ups and the downs, through the arguments and apologies, God is up to far more than, than making you happy. He's he's using it to to knock off the rough edges. He's using marriage and its difficulties to, to overhaul your heart and to make you holy. Marriage is about one saved but supremely broken person helping another saved but supremely broken person become who God made them to be. That's what it's about. And if you fail to grasp that then some really frustrating things can happen in your marriage. If you fail to grasp that you you may fall into the trap of setting the expectations for your spouse way too high. Thinking that you've married someone who's only mildly messed up. And then once you're married and the masks are off you become deeply disappointed. Wondering if this spouse that you've committed to came with a receipt. I see it in premarital counseling all the time. Couples that are about to be married or couples that have just gotten married, they bury each other under these impossible expectations. You know, he's thinking, oh, she's gonna be super low maintenance. She's gonna be just like she was when I was dating her. She's gonna love, loving me, if you know what I mean. And she will be perpetually cute like she is right now. She she's cute. And she's thinking, oh, he's going to want to stay up late and talk, like about feelings and about how our relationship's doing. And also, he's going to understand if I'm just not into it that night, right? (laughs) And he's going to have no problem holding my hair if I have to puke. (laughs) Right. Fast forward a few years, and while they love each other, They're now a bit disillusioned due to the selfishness and the humanity that they have discovered in one another. And the amount of effort that it takes to make it work, the amount of immense effort it takes to just choose to love this other person each and every day. And you see, that's the moment. That's the moment when the old vow, that bad vow that we have to break, can start to rear its ugly head. You can become very defensive about all the issues that she sees in you, yet legalistic about every problem in her that bothers you. Now, on the flip side, if in the beginning you grasp that marriage is about two supremely broken people working together to become holy, things are different. It it means you enter the relationship with a solid expectation of discovering deep imperfection. Think about it. If marriage is a playground for us together to become like Jesus, then you should not be surprised when you discover that the person you're married to is in desperate need of Jesus. Now, I say that with a few words of caution in mind. Uh, First, it it doesn't mean that any issue you discover in your spouse, any issue at all, is something that you just have to love them through or help them through. Uh, No, in in cases of abuse or infidelity, the best way to love them may be to leave them so that they can no longer sin against you. Uh, Likewise, this does not mean that you get to purposely marry someone that you know has some serious problems or who you know is, is not on the same page with you on some serious foundational things and then see them as this project you get to work on. Uh, no, just because marriage is a playground for sanctification it doesn't mean that you have to put up with mistreatment and it is not license to be foolish. Now, Once we have all that straight, that that we shouldn't be surprised by the sin of our spouse and that God wants to use us to slowly but surely change one another, then then we're on the right track. But now the question becomes this, how in the world do you do that? How do I help the other person change? Jump with me to Ephesians chapter 5. In this section of scripture, Paul is speaking directly to husbands, but it applies to wives as well. Uh, Paul says this, that the model for marriage is Jesus. The model for marriage is how Jesus loves us. Jesus gave his life for us to, to become who the Father wanted us to be. He gave his life for us so that we might become who the Father wants us to be, forgiven, and so we are. And in the same way, a husband should look at his wife and say, I will make it my life's goal, even as I discover your problems, and as I, as I am awakened to your sins, to help you become the woman that God wants you to be. And that's an important distinction. Often in marriage we're all about fixing our partner, but we have the wrong goal in mind. Uh, I want to make her into the woman that I want her to be, which is to make me someone who nags her into being somebody better. Or I'll spend the whole marriage saying yes and and letting my spouse become the person they want to be, which is to become an enabler for them. But sanctification is different. It's about me pursuing my spouse with God's purposes in mind. God's purposes. This is a good spot to stop and reflect. If you're married, answer this question. Do you tend to be someone who nags, who enables, or do you consider yourself one who helps, helps to sanctify? Do you tend to, to gripe at them about how they fail to meet your vision for a spouse? Or are you a, a yes man, a, a yes girl? Do you wrongly mistake loving someone for always making peace and giving in to someone? Or, or do you see who God wants them to be through through a knowledge of the scripture, through prayer and humility? Do you see who God, God wants them to be? And do you try to help them embrace it and become it? I mean, th- this may be the first you're hearing of this, but but did you know that God has great things in mind for your spouse? He does. And, and, and here's what they are. We could talk a lot about this, but but just using Ephesians chapter 5 as our model, here's what God wants for your spouse. Ladies, when it comes to your husband, God's goal is that through the ups and downs of marriage, you might help him become the, the respected, Christ-focused head of your home. And men, uh, God's goal is that As you see your wife's struggles, you you might love her through them and encourage her uh, to become the cherished, Christ-focused heart of your home. Men, God is slowly transforming you, uh, among many other things, into a sacrificial, proactive, and accountable man who is worthy of praise. Uh, the kind of man who, who willingly takes on any burden his family might face and who would gladly sacrifice himself for the joy of his home and especially the joy of his wife. And ladies, God is molding and shaping you, among many other things, into a woman who is full of truth that convicts, strength that soothes, and encouragement that empowers A woman who pours possibility and right priorities into the people that she loves, but especially the man that she loves. But but listen to me. You will not grow into these kinds of people unless there are people in your life who need these things from you for their good and who ask these things of you for your growth. Uh, Let me... Let me give you some specific examples. Maybe these apply to you, maybe they don't. Uh, ladies who are married, your husband may very well need to learn through you that he tends to check out and be a little too distant in the home. Guys, y- your wife may very well need to learn through you that when she uses the silent treatment, she can make other people feel really small. Ladies, He needs to learn through you that a real man plays on the floor with his kids rather than just retreat to the couch with their phone. You you need each other to sanctify each other. Now, does that mean that there will be conflict in your home? Yes, and not all conflict is bad. Does that mean that your ego will get bruised and your heart will get broken? Yes, and that's not always a bad thing. Are you saying that, that a husband and wife are are becoming who God wants them to be by making mistakes on one another and receiving encouragement from one another? Yes. And if you go into married life knowing that, you you won't be disappointed when it requires that. When I was a kid, my grandfather used to polish stones. He'd take these jagged rocks that he found on the side of the road and And he'd put them through this this long process where they became beautiful and smooth and something you wanted to, to carry in your pocket. And one day I asked him, Grandpa, how do you do this? And so he showed me. He took a handful of rough rocks and a little bit of chemicals and he dropped it in a container, a tumbler it was called. And he flipped the switch and turned it on. And all you could hear was the hum of the motor and the sound of the rocks crashing up against each other. And I asked him, what's happening? And he just looked at me and he said, well, they're, they're, they're knocking the edges off of each other. And over time, they'll become beautiful. That, to me, is a, is a perfect description of my and Lisa's marriage, especially our first few years. And that, to me, is a perfect description of sanctification in general. Hebrews 10 says this. Hebrews 10 says that Christians should provoke each other toward love and goodness. I love that word, provoke. And we should exhort each other daily, lest you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The the Christian life is a life of of rough edges being refined and, and beauty being brought out by people coming into constant, purposeful collision with one another. We need to knock against each other. And over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, this this collision, this colliding, this breaking, it brings forth something beautiful. But but it is not possible if you insist on staying the same. You, You have to believe that relationships, especially marriage, are not just about living with someone, but about you becoming someone. Marriage is not just about you living with someone, but you becoming someone, and you embrace that for yourself. This is meant to change me and challenge me, and then you help to draw that out of your partner as well. Now, let me just add in this this piece of caution in case you're tempted to to hear all of this as permission to just create conflict with your spouse and start insisting on change in your own way. I don't want anybody to hear this today and then turn to their spouse and say, hey, make me dinner and then rub my feet. It's good for you. Pastor Matt said so. Please don't do that. You, You see, while God determines the goal for your spouse, who he wants this person to become, Your spouse gets to determine the means. Your spouse gets to determine how to help them become that person, how best to change, challenge, and grow them. Uh, Take a look again at Ephesians 5, this time at verse 33. Paul ends his section on husbands and wives with an exhortation. He says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In other words, God's goal is for you to help your wife become a more, a more cherished, lovable woman and for your husband to become a more respectable, praiseworthy man. But you must help them, hear me on this, you must help them in ways that they say make them feel loved and respected. Otherwise, you're just going to crush their spirit and they will never respond. In your marriage, you need to have discussions about how the other person needs to receive critique in order for them to actually hear it and accept it and want to apply it. Have you ever had that discussion? You need to ask your bride what makes her feel cherished. You need to ask your groom what makes him feel respected and what could fuel them, motivate them toward greater involvement, engagement, and participation in the marriage. Have you had those conversations? Ladies, ask ask and then do the things that make him feel like he's king of the world. I, I know this may seem strange and stupid to you, but you should ask him these things. And, and you might find that the things he suggests, the things that really empower him and inspire him, seem small and strange. He might say, hey, I love it when you, when you make my coffee in the morning, too, when you're making yours, and when you're willing to flirt with me on text while I'm at work. And, and also, ladies, when you fight with him, Be truthful with him, but but never belittle him. Guys, you need to ask. You need to ask and then do the things that she says makes her feel lovely, that that reinforce the truth in her heart that she's safe with you, that she matters to you, that she is a cherished priority to you. Ask what those things are. And again, the things that she likes might seem strange to you, but, but it's what she likes. She might say, oh, I love it. I love it when you you load the dishwasher the right way. Or when you invite me to go for a walk after dinner. Or, Or she might say, I love it when you lean in and you whisper those seven special words that I love to hear. Let me put the kids to bed. And when you fight with her, guys, when you fight with her, never say anything to devalue her or to take a sense of security away from her. Now, what's so amazing about this is that when you are willing to serve each other and let the other person determine the motivations for sanctification, we gain momentum and joy in the process of sanctification. We do. The truth is, no one ever becomes perfect, not even close. And that's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus though even the most mature of us will still be unbelievably broken until the day he returns, he still loves us. He loves us because he chooses to see us not in light of who we are, sinful and broken, but to see us in light of who his cross has determined us to be, forgiven, and to see us in light of who one day we will fully become, radiant in the Father's sight. That's how he chooses to see us. And marriage is meant to work the same way. I used to marvel at how some, some couples could be enamored with each other after, after 50, 60-plus years together. I'd think in my younger days of marriage, I'd think, well, doesn't it get old after a while? Isn't it difficult to be smitten with someone who's so far removed from who they, who they used to be? And then eventually, it hit me. When you see an older couple holding hands and sharing a smile, it's—it's it's not because he's thinking back to who she used to be, or, or he's or she's thinking back to who he used to be when, when, when passions were higher and bodies were smaller. No, it's because he's—he's he's not seeing her in light of who she was. He's smitten with who, after all these years, she is still becoming. Because after all, marriage is not about simply being with someone, it's about becoming someone. And then choosing to love who that person becomes. Be realistic about the sins of your spouse. Love them in ways that meet their needs and makes them better. And be willing to receive love from them that does the same. Don't resist change and choose to see not only the person who they are today, but the person who, by the power of God and the persistence of a friend, they are becoming. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this series we have been reminded of the fact that, that relationships are important. In particular, this, rela- this married relationship is, is of incredible importance, but it is unbelievably difficult, beautiful, beyond compare, but difficult as well. Father, help us to reject all the sinful, self-centered impulses inside of us that compromise or undermine the integrity of our relationships. Help us to break those old vows so that we can keep the vows that matter most. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you would allow us to be open to change in and through our marriages. Give us humble hearts. Make us willing to receive critique and correction and encouragement from our spouse, believing that it, is, that it is you working through them to make us more respectable, to make us more cherished, to make us lovelier in your eyes. And help us to embrace the role of being that agent of change in this person that we love as well until the day when we all stand before you, forgiven of our sins and radiant in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.